I'm so glad that you're with us today. Thank you for joining us. And I pray that the service today is going to be a tremendous blessing to you. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Well, I know that God is in charge. No matter what you and I are faced with, no matter what kind of challenge we're up against, God is a faithful God. He loves us. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to love everybody. He wants us, in fact, the scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And you know, the more that we love God, it just gives us a capacity to be able to love each other, love everybody. And uh, I know that God is powerfully at work, even in difficult times. Thank you for joining us today. Would you go ahead and take a moment and you can uh, share this with somebody. You can call, text somebody, ask them to join us. This is a really, really important message you're going to hear in just a couple of moments after I pray for you. So you'll want your friends and family members to follow along. Um, we're still awaiting uh, news on an official date of when we're starting back at the South Campus. I will tell you this we're hearing some encouraging uh, sounds and noises in terms of some conversations, and we hope to come to you very, very soon with an official day. So obviously, we're going to keep you posted and updated uh, through the services and on the uh, church's website, so just keep your eyes and ears uh, open uh, for that. Uh, thank you for being faithful. If this is your church home, and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to say thank you for being faithful. Thank you for honoring God with a tithe, with your full tithe, and for remembering our missionaries all over the world. Uh, you are faithful. God rewards faithfulness. You've heard me say that again and again. God rewards faithfulness. God rewards obedience. God rewards generosity. And so every time you and I put God first in every area of our life, including our giving, God finds ways to bless us in returns. So I want to say thank you for that. Whether you're mailing your check-in to the North Campus location, the Griffin Road Campus, or you're giving online or texting to give, however you're doing it, I want to say thank you for doing so. I want to pause just before we go into the message, and I want to once again pray this week that God would bless your life. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for every person that is watching. Lord, you know what they are faced with. You know their greatest joy and you know their greatest challenge. And I just pray that you'll reach down and touch their life. Remind them, God, that you are powerful and that you are present in our lives. That you have sent your Holy Spirit to be within us at all times, in and around our lives, guiding us, giving us direction, empowering us in every way, God. I just pray that you would bless your people, that you would bless them in every area of their life, that you would bless their health, and you would bless their emotions, that you would bless their jobs, and you would bless their family. I pray that you would just bless them in every area of their life. Bless them financially. Bless them, God, in every domain of their life. And Lord, we just pray that in these next few moments, as we look into your word, that you would encourage and inspire your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, I'm really excited about this message today, and even if you are not usually a note taker, I'm going to ask you to strongly consider taking notes today. This is a message that you need to hear. We're going to go back to Psalm uh, 23 one more time. I'm going to read the first three verses, then we're going to focus on verse 4, but this is what I believe God wants to do for you. I believe that God wants to restore your hope if you've lost your hope. I believe that God wants to 
encourage you. And the reason why I believe that is, as we've been looking at in this series, God is a really, really good God in what He does, He everything He does. It's good all the time, and how that you and I can experience the goodness of God. So, let's start right now, Psalm 23. Let's go to the screen, and I want you to look with me. Look at these verses. Psalm 23, let's start at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. We've talked about that in previous weeks. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. Look at this next portion. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. We talked about that last week. And then the highlighted portion is the portion we're going to focus all of our attention on today. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about the fact that God is with us every step of the way. Now, you saw on the screen just a moment ago two words that are pivotal words, uh, darkest valley, darkest valley. Now, at this point on your journey, you realize, you you don't need me to tell you, you realize by now that life is a series of ups and downs, of highs and lows, of good times and bad times. You've discovered by now that life is a series of mountaintop experiences and time that all of us from on occasion will spend in the valley. And uh, we, we've experienced this. We know this. Now, I want to just pause and say this. Am I the only one that wants a perfect life? I don't think so. I, I, you know, that's just our human nature. We want everything to go good all of the time. We, we don't want there to be highs, uh, lows rather. We want there to always be highs. We don't want there to be downs. We want there to be up times, good times instead of bad times. We want there to be mountaintop experiences instead of having to walk through the valley. So in reality, you're probably like me. I want a perfect life. But the problem is I've not found one yet. If you know where I can find the perfect life, please text me and let me know. Now, you might find this interesting. I know I did. Obviously, David, uh, King David, we introduced to him initially as a shepherd boy, a young shepherd boy. But uh, Psalm 23 was actually written by King David. So the phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, which you saw just a moment ago, is actually his language. Now, we knew that. Psalm 23, a lot of you know that it's the most famous chapter in all of the Bible. Uh, A lot of you know that it was David who wrote it. But what you may not know, and I didn't know this either, is that, that in Israel there is a canyon that is actually called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's actually there. And David, most scholars believe, has probably been through that valley scores of times. Now, some of the canyons there, uh, we're told, can reach, they're very, very narrow at the bottom, but they can reach as high as 800 feet tall as high as 800 feet tall. So what does that mean? It means that the only time that you would actually see the sun would be when the sun would be directly overhead. Otherwise, for the vast majority of the day, you would stand in the shadows. And I want to just ask you that. Have, have you ever felt like in your life that you were standing in the shadows? 
Maybe that's a reality for your life right now. Maybe you just feel like, I'm standing in the shadows. I'm going through. These are not up times. These are down times. These are not high times. These are low times. This is not a mountaintop experience for me in my life right now. I am walking through the valley. It's dark. It's discouraging. Maybe for you, that time is right now. Maybe uh, for you, you're just saying, where's the sun? When's it going to shine again? I'm I'm in the shadows. It's dark. And uh, when's the sun going to shine again? Maybe you're saying, where's the sun? S-U-N. Maybe you're saying, where is the sun? S-O-N. Maybe you're saying, where's Jesus? Why would Jesus let me go through a challenging time like this? Why would he, where is he? Can he be found? Is he with me? Am I walking through my challenge all alone? Or is Jesus with me right now? And we're going to talk about that. That's why I want you to take some good notes today. But I want to show you one more thing. And then we're going to jump over to the other side of this. And we're going to get very, very practical. I want you to see this because it comes into play with what we're talking about right now. And this is actually out of 1 Kings chapter 20. See, about 2,900 years ago, there was a king in Israel by the name of Ahab. Ahab was not a a good god, uh, a good guy, so this is not why God is going to help him out, although you're going to see that God is about to help him out. Ahab is not a good guy. The king of Assyria actually wants to overthrow Ahab. Let me say that again because I want you to follow this. The king, the king of Syria wants to overthrow Ahab, who is the king of Israel. So what does the king of Syria do? He gathers together 32 other nations to join him. And he's going to come against Israel, and he is going to overthrow Ahab. And it appears that that is going to happen But God grants to Israel a miraculous victory. But a year later, so they're, they're, you know, they've experienced victory. uh, Things, they've they've won the skirmish. Uh, The Syrian king, along with these 32 other nations, have come against them. But God's provided a miracle for them. But the king of Syria is going to attempt this again uh, later the next year. But now there's going to be the employment of a different strategy. And this really matters a whole lot. And I want you to see it right here on the screen. This is verse 23 from 1 Kings 20. It says, Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him. Their gods, now we know it's God, but this is how they're referencing. Their gods are gods of the hills. We might would say the gods of the mountains. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, if we fight them on the flatlands, if we fight them in the valley, surely we will be stronger than they. So the idea here is that the reason when we, you know, had them overmatched, the reason why they were able to be, uh, you know, why they were able to be victorious is because their God is a God of the mountains, Let's fight them on the valley, in the valley. Let's fight them on the flatlands. Let's fight them in the plains. So this time they gather a more massive army to fight Israel in the valley. And there's probably, we're told, about 100,000 troops compared to the meager Israelite army of only approximately um, about 7,000. In fact, I want you to look at this next verse right here. It just shows you this contrast. The Israelites also prepared to fight. They marched out to meet the Syrians, and the two armies camped across from each other. The Syrians, look at this now, covered the whole area, 
But the Israelites looked like two little flocks of goats. So again, scholars tell us there's probably as many as 100,000 troops when you consider all these nations that have gathered together to go out and to defeat uh, Israel and to overthrow Ahab. This definitely seems, once again, that Israel has zero chance that they're going to be soundly defeated, yet God is up to something. Remember now, this is really important, remember now, they are saying, we're going to use a different tactic. Our strategy is going to be different. We're going to fight them in a different way. Their God is the God of the mountains. We need to fight them in the valley. But God has a word for his people. Look at this next verse right here. I want you to see it. It's a very important verse. This is what the Lord says. Now, God is speaking up here. He says, because the Arameans think that the Lord, that I'm a God of the hills, the mountains, And not a God, look at this phrase, not a God of the valleys. I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am about, that I am the Lord. So what is God saying? God is saying, I am about to prove, and this is important now for your life and for my life. God is saying to them and to us, I am not just a God of the mountains. I am also a God of the valley. Now that matters a whole lot. See, in the Bible, valleys are always a metaphor for difficult times. And yet, God repeatedly proved again and again that he is not just a God on the mountaintops, but that he is a good God in the middle of the valley as well. That's true for your life, and that's true for my life. Now, I will admit to you that the view from the mountain is spectacular. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, gather with my family back in our home city of Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. And we all gathered, came from different parts of the country, and we met up together there. And we decided that in this family reunion that we've not done for years and years and years, that part of it we would spend, we'd spend a day at Stone Mountain. And some of you have been to Stone Mountain before. And so a lot of us, we decided after we had had a great lunch together and hanging out, that we would go to the top of uh, Stone Mountain. And I think it's probably the largest granite mountain in maybe in the world, at least in the States from what I've heard. And so many of our family members, we, we went to the top of Stone Mountain and the view, I had not done this since I was, I was quite young. And as an adult, to just be able to look out It was breathtaking in every single way. I could see the skyline of the major metropolitan area of Atlanta. You could look in another direction, see other skyscrapers in in Buckhead area. We could look directly down below the mountain, see this pristine golf course, and the view was amazing. In fact, any time you stand on top of the mountain, the view is always incredible. Don't you wish that you always stood on top of the mountain? I do. But that's not where we always live. Sometimes we spend time in the valley. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the next few moments. In fact, I mentioned that I was going to have you take some notes, and I hope that you will. I'm going to give you some verses here, because what I want to do in the next few moments is I want to, I want to first of all, start by giving you three things that we need to know 
about valleys. I'm going to do that. Three things that we need to know about valleys. And then once we do that, we'll take a few more minutes, add to that three things that we need to remember when we're in a valley. So let me say that again. Three things that you and I need to know about a valley because we're going to spend some time there. And then three things that we need to remember when we're in the midst of a valley. So you ready for this? Three things we need to know about valleys. Number one, valleys are unfortunately a part of life. They simply are. Valleys are a part of life. How I would love to tell you, nothing would make me any happier than to say to you that the rest of your life, your view is always going to be from the mountaintop, that you would never experience any kind of defeat. You would never know discouragement. You would never know anything depressing. You would never experience anybody in your life uh, going through death. But that's impossible because life, and we know this, life will never be perfect this side of heaven. It simply will not. And and we need to be candid, and we need to be objective about this with one another. Valleys are simply a part of life. You know, you can go all the way back into the Old Testament, and there was this time when God was leading His chosen people into the land of promise. And He was saying, you have been in captivity far too long, and God was sick and tired of that being the reality of their life. So He's going to lead them to a land of promise. He's going to lead them to a place of freedom. And and this is, he says, this is going to be a land that's going to be incredible in every way. You're going to be so blessed in this land. But there's something about it that maybe you've not noticed before that I want to show you. And this is out of Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 11. And again, this is the land of promise. But it says this, but the land that you will soon cross over the Jordan River to take is actually a land of hills and valleys. So even in the promised land, even in a place where God's people, the Israelites, were going to be more blessed than they had ever been blessed in their history, God was still saying, as wonderful, as incredible as that land will be, as wonderful and incredible as your life is going to be, it still will be a place that will have hills and it will have valleys. There will be mountains and there will be valleys. There will be highs and lows. There will be good times and bad times. Now, why is it? And perhaps you've wondered this, why do we encounter uh, pain? Why do we sometimes walk through problems? Why do we have pressure in our life? And I want to just say this, it, it doesn't mean that we're bad. It doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. It simply means that you and I are human beings, and we currently reside in a fallen, broken, sin-infested world. Let me say that again. Why you and I have pain and problems and pressure. It's not because, you know, we're necessarily doing anything wrong. It's the fact that we're human beings living in a fallen, broken, sin-infested world. This is why the Apostle Peter said this, and I want you to see it with me. Dear friends, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And yet sometimes we do that. Something goes the wrong way in our life. We're not in the high season. We're in the low parts. We're not on the mountaintop. We're in a valley. And we are sometimes seemingly surprised by that. And yet Peter is saying, don't be surprised. It's the fact of the matter, uh, you know, that valleys, tough times are a part of life. Secondly, I want to move on. And you need to be sure you get this. Valleys happen to everyone. No one is immune from this. 
Nobody is insulated. Nobody's going to be able to go from their birth date to their death date without having to walk through a valley. Now, I want to pause and I want you to think about this with me. Do only bad things happen to bad people? Do only bad things happen to bad people? Not at all. We know this. Even good things often happen to bad people. Can I tell you what that is? That is the grace of God. Not because they deserve it. It's just the grace of God. Just like you and I receive benefits and good things from God. Not because we're perfect. It's the grace of God. What about this? Do only good things happen to good people? Do only good things happen to good people? That would be wonderful. Although that's not a reality either. Uh, Look at Psalm 34 and verse 19 with me. The righteous, because this is where the difference lies. The righteous person faces many troubles, just like everybody else. But here's the difference. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. And that's why, where you can find some hope and encouragement today. You're saying, you know what? I'm doing everything that I know to do. I'm doing my best to live for God. I love Jesus with all of my heart. I'm trying to live out this Christian life. I'm trying to do the very best that I can. Sure, I slip up and fall. Sure, I make some mistakes. But I get back up, and with God's grace, you know, I repent. I confess of my sin. I get back up, and I'm passionately going after Jesus. And then it just seems like I, I face another trouble. I face another battle. I walk through another valley. Why is that? And and the apostle Peter, and you saw it with me a moment ago, he'd say, don't be surprised of that. You and I are real human beings living in a broken world. And the fact of the matter is, we're going to walk through some stuff. It doesn't mean that God is not faithful. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. In fact, it means just the opposite. We saw it just then, that here's the big difference, that we may walk through struggles and challenges, but God will again and again come to our rescue. In fact, no matter what you are faced with right now, now, you may be wondering, when is this going to end? When is this going to be over? When am I going to feel right again? When is this going to be straightened out in my life? And I wish that I could give you a precise hour of a day. I can't do that because I'm not God, but this is what I know. God will come to your rescue. God's got a good plan because he's a good God, and he's got a good, good plan for your life, and he will come to your rescue. So here's what we need to know about valleys. We need to know, first of all, that valleys are a part of life. We need to know, secondly, that valleys happen to everybody. doesn't mean that God's mad at you because you're in a valley. It doesn't mean that God is punishing you because you're in a valley. Thirdly, valleys are unpredictable. Valleys are unpredictable, and that's a challenge, because if you can't predict them, then you can't plan on them, or you can't time them. You know, you and I, um, you know, if we could plan them, if we could time them, then we know what we would do. We would wait till, you know, we were as strong as we could possibly be, that a lot of good, we felt strong, you know, we felt energized, things are pretty much in other areas of our life going really, really well, and we'd be like, okay, if I've got to walk through a valley, I guess now is as good as time as any, but valleys are unpredictable. And you know this, that you and I are always just one phone call away from something that could ruin our day. In fact, we're one phone call away from something that could alter the rest of our life. And I I don't mean that to be alarming. I'm just saying valleys are are unpredictable. You know, uh, I've always said that, um, you know, if you get a call in the middle of the night, it's 
it's never going to be a good thing. Now, years and years ago, and some of you maybe have heard me tell this before. This has been a long time, actually, when I was first starting out in, in ministry. It was so long ago that we actually had beepers. You remember those? That's a long time ago. And so I was on call at this church that I was uh, at. I was just graduated uh, from Southeastern University, and I was at this great church, and it was my time to be on call. Well, if it happened to be, um, you know, after hours, there was an answering service, long story short, and so an operator would call you, and then you would return the call. I kid you not. My phone goes off in the middle of the night, and I'm thinking, oh, no, this cannot be good. Nothing good about this call. Somebody's in trouble. Well, I, I picked it up. I, I was sound asleep, but I you know, I tried to pretend as best I could as though I were wide awake. I wanted to be alert. So I'm like, hello, and, and identified myself. And uh, the person on the other end, they were hesitant. I, I'm preparing myself for crises. And then this is what they said. I don't think they knew me. They just called and somehow got me because I was on call. And I'm not kidding you when this is what I heard. Hey, pastor, I'm working on a paper right now, and I have a couple of questions could you help me? And it's like three o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, this cannot be, I must be dreaming. This is not really happening. Uh, somebody's working on a paper in the middle of the night and they procrastinate and now they need my help on a paper. And I'm like, and again, I don't know them. I doubt that they know me, but they were desperate for help. And you know what? By the grace of God, talk about the grace of God. By the grace of God, I took a few moments and I helped them. It's not necessarily what I wanted to do initially, but I did it. And then I hung up the phone. Here's my only regret. I wish I had taken their name. I wish I had taken their phone number because I would have loved about a week later to set my alarm and call them in the middle of the night and ask them how they did on that paper I helped them with. Well, that wasn't a tragedy, although for this student, apparently it felt like a crisis, but calls do come, and they can be alarming. I remember uh, one time many, many years ago, this has been 20-plus uh, years ago now, when somebody that I knew very, very well, I got a call, and this person I knew, again, quite well, had fallen, had taken a fall, and the end result of that was the way they landed, they were gone. They didn't fall from like an extreme height. They just had a, um, just an uncanny fall, and they were gone. They had passed away. What a tragedy for that, uh, for that wife. What a tragedy for those kids. And you know what? It was totally unpredictable. Valleys often don't announce their coming. They just happen. You know, it could be news about your job. It might be news about your health. It could be news about a friend. It could be something else. But maybe you have found yourself called totally unprepared. I want you to look at this verse, Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow. Each day brings its own surprises. And some of you, you have your own story. Well, I want to go ahead and flip this over now. And I want to get to the part that I really want to talk about more. And what we just talked about is important, and we need to know it, and we can't deny reality that valleys are a part of life. We shouldn't be surprised when they happen. They happen to everybody. If you're in a valley, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that God is picking on you. They happen to everybody, and valleys are unpredictable. But I want to give you three things real quickly to remember when you're in a valley. When you're in a valley, always remember this. You ready for it? Are you ready? 
remember that you are not alone. I want, to, I want you to hear that. I want you to embrace that. I want you to receive that into your mind, into your heart, into your spirit, that whenever you're in a valley, and that valley may be right now, always remember that you are not alone. Uh, not on the screen, but I want to just go back to Psalm 23, and I want to read verse 4 again, but I want you to listen to a couple of key words, and I'll point them out, and I'll help you with it. Even when I walk, first key word, through, through. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. The two key words of verse 4 are just those words, through and you. What do I mean by that? See, you're walking through a valley. It doesn't mean you're going to stay there. That valley doesn't mean it's going to be a reality for the rest of your life. You know what you're doing? You went into that valley, but you're also going to come out of that valley. You're going to come out on the other side. You're going to know the mountaintop again. Yeah, it may be tough right now. It may be dark. You may feel like you're living in the shadows. It may feel discouraging and depressing to you right now. But here's the good news. You are not going to stay there forever. You're in the valley, but you're just walking through the valley. And while you're in the valley, you you being God, God is with you every step of the way. See, God was with you when you went into the valley, and God's going to be with you when you come out on the other side, and when you're back on top of the mountain, guess who's going to be there with you? God is going to be with you. God is with you. He's going to be with you through the valley, and He's going to be with you every step of the way. And no matter the severity of the valley, a very good God is going to be there. I want you to see this verse out of Isaiah. This is a great, great verse. When you pass through the waters, this is God saying, I will be with you. I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. and The flames will not set you ablaze. What is God saying? God is saying this whenever you're in a valley, when you're, whenever you're in a tough spot, I'm right there with you. Secondly, remember, first of all, I am not alone. God is with me. Secondly, even in the valleys, God has a purpose for my life. Even in the valleys, God has a purpose for my life. Have you ever noticed this? That you generally grow in God and that you generally grow stronger when you have to trust God more? Can I say that again? When do you and I generally grow stronger? When do you and I generally grow in God? It's when we're having to trust God more. See, what we often do, we have this tendency, you've got it, I've got it. It's a, it's a natural bend. It's part of our fallen condition. When you and I are on top of a mountain, guess what we typically do? We typically depend upon ourselves. We've got a great view from the top of the mountain. We're looking around. Everything looks wonderful. We've got a perspective that is amazing. And generally in those times, you and I depend upon ourselves. But it's when we're in a valley that we depend upon God more. You know, I was thinking about it while I was working on this message. Just as a muscle cannot grow without it being challenged, it's difficult for you and I to grow without experiencing a struggle. I was reading up on sort of how that works because you wonder, well, how does a muscle grow? Well, working out, but there's the, the, the aspect of that. There's the physical aspect of that. And when you read it a little bit more deeper, actually, when you're working out, when you're trying to build muscle, what you do is you actually tear the fibers of the muscle. You tear the fibers of a muscle in order to make a muscle grow. And what does the body do? The body, the human body, when a muscle is torn because of working out, the human body goes into repair mode, and it begins to bring to pass new muscle. 
And, and so it's like a struggle. We're like, you know what? We're not going to grow stronger unless we're facing resistance. We're not going to grow stronger unless we have challenge. We're not going to grow stronger unless from time to time we have to walk through a valley. Although all of us would agree it's not pleasant to walk through a valley. But when we come out on the other side, we know not only is God with us, but we're stronger as a result of it. I want you to look at uh, these few verses here. This is Paul in Romans. He said, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And that's helping us to get stronger. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Look at this next part right here. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how clearly God loves us. How dearly, I should say. How dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. See, even in the tough times, we got to remind ourselves that God dearly loves us. We're not walking through a challenge because God is mad at us. We're not walking through a, ma- uh, a challenge because God is trying to punish us. God is going to use our challenge many times to make us stronger. And who's making us stronger? The God that loves us in a way that we can't even understand. I want to close with one more. Remember, when you're in a valley, remember that you're not alone. When you're in a valley, remember that God still has a purpose for your life. And then finally, remember that the reward will be amazing. The reward will be amazing and it will last forever. Can I just say this to you? As painful as that valley is, it's only temporary. God's best plan for your life goes way beyond this world. See, your life in heaven, if you're a follower of Jesus, is going to last forever. It will. If you've accepted Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life, your life in heaven is going to last forever and forever. Your pain and problems, and we have them in this world. I mentioned that. They're part of life. Everybody experiences pain and problems, frustrations and failures, discouragement and disappointments. But you know the reality is they are all short-lived. They're all short-lived. One more verse. Look at this. This is also Paul. He said, for our present troubles are small. Doesn't feel small at the time, by the way. But our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Will last forever. See, none of us can even begin to imagine how stunning that heaven will be. I want to wrap up with this. You know, I mentioned to you a couple of moments ago that um, it was some time ago, not too long ago, that with several family members, there we are, standing on top of Stone Mountain, looking in one direction as far as the eye could see, and city of Atlanta, Buckhead, golf courses, river. I mean, it was amazing. But even taking in that view does not even begin to compare with heaven. You know, I love the beach. I love the beach and I love to sit in a chair at the end of the day and and just look at the waves and I'm reminded of how powerful that God is, but it's beautiful and majestic as the oceans are, the, the beach, the mountains. None of it is a comparison with how wonderful that heaven's gonna be. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, a lot of you, you need to be reminded of that today, that what you're walking through right now, it's not going to last forever. 
while you're in the valley, God is with you. He's going to bring you out on the other side, and you're going to be stronger as a result of it. But all of us look forward to a day that we can't even on this side of heaven begin to imagine. And so I just want you to be encouraged with that. I want you to know that what you're faced with right now is in comparison with eternity. Just a brief time, it's short-lived. But I also know this, some of you are not in a right relationship with Christ. And as we come to the end of this message, but not just the end of this message, the end of this series, I want to just mention to you one more valley, and it will only take me a moment to do so. And the Old Testament, it's in one of the minor prophets, Joel. I think it's Joel 3.14. You can look it up later. It mentions another valley, a valley of decision. In fact, the language is multitudes are in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. Think about that. Multitudes are in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. And that may be where you're at. You're in a valley of decision. See, the very fact that you've stayed to the end of this message lets me know that there's something in your life that is interested in God. You would have cut me off a long time ago. There's something in your life, and you know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit, and He's drawing you to Jesus. And I know that you may not fully be able to comprehend that. I'm just saying that what you're sensing in your heart right now is bigger than you. God is drawing you. You're in a decision. You're in the valley of decision. And I want you to make a decision to follow Jesus. See, God loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross to pay off your sin debt in full. That's how much God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God wants you to have eternal life with him forever and ever. And maybe you're thinking, Jeff, if I give my life to Jesus now, does that mean no more problems in this world? That's not what it means, but it does mean this. Every problem that you walk through between now and heaven, God's going to be with you holding your hand every step of the way. I wouldn't have it any other way, and I wouldn't want it any other way for you. So if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, and now is the decision time for you, I want you to join me in this prayer. What I'm going to pray, you can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in your mind, and God will hear every word. Would you just pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you came into this world, this broken, messed up, sin-infested world, only because of love, and that you went to the cross to pay for my sins and the sins of the whole world. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. I receive you as my Savior and my leader. I know that life is not going to be perfect ahead of me, but I'd rather walk every step of the way hand in hand with you than try to face all the ugliness of of this world all by myself. And so I need you and I want you. Thank you that you'll come into my life and you will receive me. And I praise you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, God heard it. Jesus came into your life. And I think that's something we all need to celebrate. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. God bless.